it's it's been um, wonderful. Um, I'm so delighted, I suppose, to have been appointed to this region in particular. Um, it's it's a wonderful opportunity for health services um, across this region to integrate everything that we do. And I suppose it represents the most significant delaying of the HSE centre that we've seen since the HSE um, came into being. So basically what it means is that I have a single line of accountability for all services across the Midwest. And I report directly into the CEO, Mr. Bernard Gloucester. So what 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 I can do is is I can make a case for additional investment based on our population needs as assessed by public health across this region. So that's the first thing. Acute community and public health services all come under one service in this new region and they all report directly into me and obviously me into into the CEO of, of our organisation. So my focus is on integrating our services. So for example, bed management, we're going to put integrated posts in place where you don't just have acute looking at acute um, acute services, but you have um, someone looking at all of the services across the region. So a single focus on all of our patients is what I bring to the table. Um, that's the first thing. And obviously I'm here to strengthen our collaboration with the multi-agencies, so our local authorities, the Gardaí, Tusla and all of our fine educational institutions. So obviously then as we move forward we'll begin to utilise the new HSE structure to bring forward sort of single IT systems for all our patients. So that means that everyone has a single line of view of patients across this region, not individual systems. So it's integrating everything. So yeah, and I think people are getting a sense there that that integration, there's a lot involved in it and people will be hopeful, although you will understand some people will be sceptical that this change is going to really change the situation in the Midwest. But how long is it going to take? Sure. So so look at nothing, no, no reform is going to come re- really quickly. I'm here, I'm on the ground. I've already started to to integrate some of the pieces that I am I'm able to where there's low hanging fruit for, for for me to do that. So, for example, I I can make decisions here locally. So we have the geriatric um, emergency medicine unit in University Hospital Limerick that was running five days a week when I came into post. We now are running that seven days a week because I assessed as based on the local health needs here that we require that capacity over the seven days as opposed to five. So I was able to make that decision. A second piece is we had a nursing home that had um, some difficult in terms of regulatory requirements, we were able to get the investment for this region to ensure the viability of that service in the long run. So these are the pieces that I can bring into from the strategic side of of, of the house to to make services better for the people we serve. Were you at all? I mean, I'm sure when you're offered the position, there's a level of excitement there, but were you at all hesitant or reticent, Sandra, given all of the issues here in the Midwest? Um, uh, you know, ongoing overcrowding, everything else, you know, you know the story uh, about taking up the position at all. I've known the Midwest for a long time. I sat in a in a national role, and what I can I can tell you, Alan, and, and your listeners is we have global leaders in healthcare working across all of our services here. We have amazing and exceptional staff, very talented staff go who who go far and beyond what's expected of them for, for the patients. We and, and, and we hear that a lot. You know, when we get people's personal stories of having attended UHL Centre, we hear about that. The staff, excellent, even uh, Councillor Michael Begley on with us recently, uh, talking about how amazing the staff were when he was there recently. But people wonder, even with that staff, there's still so many issues, overcrowding, big, big one. Uh, we've seen record overcrowding uh, this year. We've seen trolley numbers at University Hospital Limerick only going below 100 uh, for the first time in 2024 on 22nd of February. People will wonder, how are things so consistently bad in the Midwest and, and, and seemingly not at any other hospital in the country? 
Sure. So the, the first thing is it, it's widely acknowledged that we have a, uh, a capacity challenge in, in University Hospital Limerick. That's the first thing. So how do we respond to that capacity challenge? We continue to build our community services. So, for example, here in Clare, we have um, the Turnage Complete to, to deliver the dialysis service. So that's going to stop lots of people having to attend University Hospital Limerick for, for dialysis services. We have the local injury unit, 46,000 people seen across this region in 2023 in our local injury units. And my job is to ensure sure that we help the public to understand all the services that we have available outside of the hospital. But notwithstanding that, your listeners will be well aware that we have a Block A under construction at the University Hospital Limerick and that will bring some reprieve. And when I came into post, we had a, a plan to have 48 and 48 replacement beds. That's for beds that are no longer able to be used in the hospital and 48 new beds. We now have a minimum of 71 new beds that we're going to be able to deliver on that. And I suppose I would I would welcome the public's um, support and the and, and the support of, of the campaign groups in assuring that we get the revenue as we go into negotiations to get the revenue to get that block open and, and start recruiting and, that. And I think people appreciate that, look, the block is it will be built, but they'll say we need those beds now. It's going to take a good number of years for that to come to fruition. Uh, we need beds now and... You mentioned uh, the number reducing uh, the number of people going to the emergency department. I mean, people, some people are afraid of going to the emergency department at University Hospital Limerick. They might go to to Cork or Galway or even Dublin instead. Which, you know, okay, it might reduce the numbers going to the emergency department in UHL, but it doesn't do much for its reputation that there are people who are who you know are afraid of their lives of going there. How do you how do you change that perception? Sure, and, and and perception is 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 absolutely massive, and I think we we need to look at the the, the number of people who who utilise our services annually. So so the emergency department with, within Limerick would have seen eighty thousand attendances last year. That's eighty thousand people that used our services. A further forty six thousand that used our LIUs hundreds of thousands of people who used our outpatient appointments across last year. So lots of people have really good experiences of our services. We have really, really good staff. We have unbelievable clinicians that can deliver really high quality healthcare. My focus has to be on making sure that we get the processes right in order to flow patients through our system appropriately, but also to get the buy-in from our community. And we've huge buy-in in, in County Clare in terms of people utilising our community services, our primary care services, our GP services, our chronic disease management, our, you know, all But the that. people in Clare would rather go to their own emergency department. We've seen so, so many calls for the ED at Ennis, Nina and St. John's to be reopened. Health campaigners continually fighting that. At least one of them should be reopened, uh, the campaigners feel. What's your own view on that? Look, I'm not on here this morning to dismiss the campaigners. They, they want what's right for, for the population of the Midwest, as, as do I and, and all of the senior leaders in the Midwest and, and the CEO of this organisation. So the first thing is to recognise the decision that was made in, in 2009 to reconfigure hospital services in this region. Which was has been proven to be disastrous. So hindsight obviously is, is a wonderful thing and, and obviously we've seen a huge growth in our population because of medical advancements. We see and we have to celebrate that people live longer in old age and particularly in this region, and people living longer with long, long, lifelong chronic, chronic diseases. So that's something that we, we need to celebrate. But I need the local representatives here, I need the campaign groups and the public to support me to get Block A, the revenue required to open those beds, and I also need their support to get the capital funding. And the Minister has been very clear that they're going to look very favourably on
on us getting capital to build block, block B. And we need to get that opened as a first call. And, and you're asking, I suppose, in terms of what, what I'm going to do, I, I need to be able to prioritise pieces that I can deliver safely and as fastly as I can for the people of this region. And these are the pieces that I need support with from, from the political system and, and from the public and the campaign groups. And this is what, what we want. And I suppose just to explain further, Alan, to yourself and your listeners, we have lots of really good global leaders in healthcare working for us at the moment. And I'm looking at the data and I'm looking at the recruitment challenges that we currently face and the problem we have with retaining those excellent staff. And what we're being asked for now is from the campaigners and and elsewhere, and it's not wrong and it's not to dismiss that, is to open a Model 3 hospital. And when I look in the main at what I'm able to recruit and retain, even in Dora Doyle, I need to be able to say, well, can I do that in a Model 3 hospital? I need to listen to the clinical advice that I'm getting as well. So I need to make this decision based on lots of different advices that I'm receiving as well. So it's not just simply about pumping money into, is what you're saying, pumping money into reopening those EDs? No, it's, it's to, to, it, the people of this region deserve global leaders in healthcare, the best clinicians that we can get. And if I'm not assured that I would be able to recruit those people to work in these Model 3 hospitals could, or anywhere could more else. Attra- you know, the, the kind of remuneration that would attract those people, could that not be offered? I mean, we're talking about money, and you mentioned the health minister, the money there for the, for the new block. I mean, he himself recently, uh, in, re- in re- relation to the overcrowding figures of UHL, said... There's no standing over the numbers. He more, more or less was, look, we've invested plenty of money in UHL. Um, it was almost, you know, almost like the management, look at the management, should, should the management shoulder a lot of the blame for what's going on? Look, we're very thankful for, for the extraordinary investment in our services. And like I've outlined, we've, we've an ageing population. We've people living longer with, with chronic diseases. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we can improve our processes. But we can also start to utilise the community more, looking outside the four walls of the hospital. And I think it's really important that I state to yourself, Alan, and, and to, to your listeners, one of the hospitals that met their targets in terms of elective elective activity and that's for scheduled care activity was the Limerick Hospital Group the University Hospital Limerick Group and I think it's really important to, to look at what we've achieved despite the extraordinary challenges that we have with, with capacity and I will work with the CEO of the of the Health Service Bernard Gloucester and we will work with the political system to make sure that we get our slice of what's available in the health budget to, to run services in this region. So you don't have a view on whether more could or should have been done by the management or indeed the health minister himself? So, so, to try so, and improve the situation. So, so my view on it is is that it's it's widely accepted and recognised. We wouldn't be getting a ninety six bed a block if if there wasn't a recognition that we required more capacity. The, we've we've had serious investment in terms of our community services through the integrated care of older people, through all of the services that we're developing in the community and are beginning to stand up and are having an extraordinary impact on people's life in a positive way. So we need to look in the main at everything that we can deliver to to, to patients, not just within the confines of a hospital. You were, you know, you're appealing there to, uh, I suppose, all stakeholders in the Midwest to kind of row in behind you and help you to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, one of the suggestions that was put out there was by um, local councillor Killy Murphy that there's been so many disparate asks from various stakeholders that the government are never likely to, to really listen to them. You know, all the various EDs and other, you know, a model three hospital and so on. He, when he was on this programme, he said he felt that if they, everyone united behind one idea, uh, be, and he suggested the uh, you know uh, upgrading of Ennis to a Model Three with emergency department in it, that if everyone got in behind that, that would be um, a fantastic backup to University Hospital Limerick within the region, and that the government might be more likely to listen to that. Is that something you think would be a good idea? Would you support it, or you did mention about attracting? 
the right kind of staff would that be a stumbling block but again I would put to you if you offer them if you offer the, the best the, the right money they, they'll, they'll likely come so salaries are, are obviously a matter at their their policy decision. That's not a decision that, that that I can I can make. I would I would really urge people to get behind me to make sure that we get the revenue for for opening the the block A as it's known as and the capital to start the further construction of of, of block B. Are you concerned, Central, that by the time that block is open, um, the numbers of overcrowding will have? We, we don't know where they'll be in three years' time or so, and that the blocks, additional block will be insufficient to deal with what will be there then. Sure, and that, that's why we, we, we are growing our community capacity again to deliver services outside of the of, of the hospital, of the, of the confines of, of the hospital. And I'm moving forward with plans to, to deliver subacute capacity. So that's admission avoidance and supporting older people to leave hospital much earlier in their journey. So we need to do things a little bit differently. More and more acute capacity isn't the only answer to to, to our woes. So that's really important. But what I do want to ask people to do is to support us with Block A, to support us with Block B, but also to utilise the suite of services, pre-hospital services that we have available to us. So you, that, you, that for you is the the road to go down, not reopening the other EDs and elective hospital, Model 3, whatever it is, that that's the, the best or solution or the only the only solution in town to try and deal with the overcrowding problem? So it's not the only solution in town. We, 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 we but is it the only one that you think should be pursued? It's the only one that that, that we should be pursuing right now is, is what I'm saying to your listeners this morning, Alan, in that we, we have a plan. Hmm. We need to see that plan through to fruition and we need to make sure through me as, as the accountable officer that we get our fair share of investment in this region with the political representatives that were, are working with us and I've met with them and they're very keen to support me as the, as the REO of this region to, to deliver what's required for, for our population and again I make the point not everything patients need in terms of their health and social care needs needs to be delivered within the confines of a hospital. The, we saw um, Stephen Donnelly's task force going into the hospital and then leading to what the INMO uh, felt were improvements at UHL. Um, but they said that, that things dissipated afterwards. Uh, are the recommendations of the Health Minister's task force still being heeded, Sandra? So, so I, 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 I've been working with, with, the, with the executive management team in, in the hospital and what I can tell you is, is they're striving to improve services and processes every single day that they're in there. They want to have better services. They want to deliver better services for the patients of this region. None of them come into work to do, to, to do a bad job. And I can guarantee your listeners that all of my staff are working to make constant improvements and increase the safety for patients right across this region every single day. In terms of some of the other services, the medical assessment unit, is the potential for the extension of those to 24-7 or even 18-7? We saw the independent TD from Claire Michael McNamara calling for an expansion of the MAUs and the injury units to a 24-hour service at Model 2 hospitals like Ennis, St John's and Nina. It was accepted by the government last May but there doesn't seem to have been any movement on that since. Sure, and, and all of that, they, so the, the medical assessments units have been phenomenally successful in, in this region, um, has, have, have, have resulted in lots of people not requiring to go to hospital and it builds upon the point that I've been making. We don't need everyone to go to Dora Doyle to, to ensure that they get the best service and their needs met. So obviously I will be looking with, with the healthcare leaders of, of this region to, to see what, what the needs are and that will be informed by population analysis. So if we feel that opening the LIUs 24-7 would be a good idea and that would meet a lot of need. That's something obviously we'll be looking at and we'll be looking for the investment for to, to deliver for the people of this region. The alternative pre-hospital pathways uh, is extension of that to all areas of Clare something that 
could be considered? So we've lots of pre-hospital pathways in place and, and we've received funding just very recently um, for for um, people who are resident in our in our nursing homes. So that means that the National Ambulance Service through paramedics will actually be going in providing training in private and public and voluntary nursing homes across this region to help support them in managing deteriorating older people and residents in those, those nursing home facilities. So that's another pre-hospital pathway that we're putting in place. And I'm really glad that you mentioned in pre-hospital pathways is because we do want to deliver care more close to people's homes and that's vitally important and that is the strategic aim of the regional health authorities as we go forward and in line with the implementation of Solantiacare. And, 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 with, and I suppose for people to get care or even medical related advice within their, their own area, we've, you know, we see the issue with the shortage of, of GPs um, and particularly felt in rural areas of Clare, for example. And I'm sure, you know, we see the knock on effect of that, then more and more people turning up with issues at the emergency department and UHL that possibly they wouldn't do if they were able to go to the GP. Is that something you would like to see sorted uh, sooner rather than later? The government have making moves in that regard but there's still a huge issue in relation to the shortage of GPs. Sure and, and that's widely widely described I suppose just to, to just mention our GP partners who, who do phenomenal and, and amazing work day in day out across this region in the prevention <coughs> arena and, and, and through chronic diseases. Obviously the expansion of the free GP for <coughs> for under eights has been hugely important and beneficial to, to children. Notwithstanding that we do recognise that people are finding it challenging to get GP appointments but I would encourage people to book routine appointments in advance and GPs do have slots in this region for people presenting with urgent care needs and we have our out of hours services through Shannon Dock available to, to them as well and your listeners might be aware that there is a GP training um, piece going on at the moment nationally and I'll be asking for our share, share of that pie in terms of what we can bring to the region in, in them new GPs that will come on stream and obviously that's not going to happen really quickly or anything like that but I do want to um, to, to reassure your listeners that I will be doing everything in my power to make sure that this region receives its fair share of those GPs. Uh, questions coming in for you, one in relation to UHL saying that the first 96 bed unit is not 96, it's four, 45 plus beds are replacing Nightingale beds. Sure. So, so what I said to you, Alan, and, and to your listeners, is that there's there's 96 beds coming up, and when I when I came into post, it was to be 48 replacement beds for the Nightingale wards, and your listener is absolutely right, and 48 um, new beds. We now have done some reconfiguration in terms of the plans. We can get 71 new beds in and 25 replacement beds. So that's an increase in terms of where we were at our baseline. So your listener is absolutely correct, and it's really important to recognise that it will be 71 new beds and not not 96. Okay. Uh, in relation to staff, another one asking what's going to be done to retain high quality staff with years of experience who are leaving in their droves because of what they feel is substandard treatment and lack of promotion opportunities. Uh, the situation at UHL has deteriorated due to a failure to retain experienced staff. Sure, and, and I and I recognise that retention is, is a huge issue for the Midwest, but it's a huge issue right across the country and right across the world in, in terms of, of the retention of, of healthcare staff. What I can tell those staff is that I will be working with your senior leaders, I will be meeting with many more of you over the coming weeks and months, and we will be coming together to understand how we retain and attract the best staff to our region, because that's what our population deserves. Uh, just finally, in relation to the manager of UHL, they've, they've received a lot of criticism from the health minister himself, local politicians, even the Shock. Now that you're in as the new regional health executive officer, you know what? What can you do differently? Uh, 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 I suppose to help them <laughs> uh, to uh, help the hospital. 
Sure, and and look at the 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 block the block A was going to be forty eight and forty eight. We've sat down together. We've looked at how we can get the best out of the site in its in its existing sort of space, um, and we we suddenly have have more beds that we can we can open for the for the population of Limerick. I'm there to support them, to encourage them, and to listen to them, and and to ensure that I am the voice, but also to hold people to account in terms of the services that we are delivering, and that's my role here. But also to ensure that we get the investment, but but also to recognise we've had huge investments so far and we need to show that we've utilised that investment to the best effect as, 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 as is only right for the taxpayer. Just before I let you go, I mean, look, even with the new block, um, would you like, and I know you've given reasons why... You, you, you don't th- you don't think the reopening of the EDs at Ennis Nina Johns w- would happen or t- and so on but would you like some uh, some something else to happen within the Midwest at some point in the not too distant future Sandra be it an elective hospital be it uh, the EDs being reopened because even with uh, extra block UHL you've got one hospital servicing a region of 400,000 plus people it's you know we go back to reconfiguration I know you're saying it's hindsight and all that but regardless um, I I don't think anyone would say it was a good idea and that has been proven to be so would you like to see other solutions other than uh, the additional block coming into play at some point you know during your term yeah, look, at I, I, I obviously would and any person that would sit in front of you and tell you that they wouldn't would, would not be telling you the truth. Um, I, I, obviously, we want to see the surgical hub come to fruition. We're in for planning permission at the moment and that's widely reported. That's going to be huge for the people of this region. Secondly, I want to introduce more rehabilitation beds, inpatient rehabilitation beds into this region for our elderly patients so we can help them to live long lives in the community and not be reliant on, on, on other services. So we want to bring them back to a baseline where they can live in independently for longer. So it's all about trying to bring things back into the community and run things from the community rather than having everything hospital focused. So so my my focus is on ensuring that we have the best services running in the community in this region for the population.